Welcome to Paradoxically Speaking. If you're hearing this, you're not currently on one of our subscriber feeds and will only be hearing a portion of the conversation. For full episodes, consider subscribing to the Perennial Meditations newsletter or the Strong Stoic newsletter on Substack. You'll find links in the show notes. When I die, may I be in the midst of my work. I want us to be doing things, prolonging life's duties as much as we can. I want death to find me planting my cabbages, neither worrying about it nor the unfinished gardening. And that comes from Montaigne's Essays. So my first question for you is, my friend, what do you want death finding you doing? Damn, we're going there. <laughs> All right. Well, it reminded me of a, a deckhand that's working for the company I work for. And uh, he's getting up there. He's, I think he's in his 70s. And he says over and over again, you know, he said, I'm going to die on the boat, which is <laughs> kind of a funny thing to say. But if you think about it, that's really what that quote is about. It's like, you know, he's got this thing that he loves to do, this this trade, this this craft. and um, Regardless of complexity, that's his craft, and that's what he wants to die doing. And I mean, my father is the same way; like he wants to die on the boat. Uh, in terms of what I want to die doing, I'd have to say probably reading and drinking coffee because that's <laughs> gotta say I really enjoy that. You know, you have uh, two coffees a day every day for twenty years, and you still enjoy it for a hundred years even. But um, but yeah, I, I like that quote. It's I think it's true. I think. Death should find us really um, working on the things that we love. And work doesn't necessarily mean you're nine to five. It can mean many things. It can mean gardening. It can mean learning. It can mean all kinds of different things. So I love it. What about you, man? Oh, that's good, man. I don't know. It's such a a difficult question. I I uh, I thought you were gonna say like underneath a barbell or some, something like that, some sort of five hundred five hundred pound. Didn't even think about that idea. You know what? I ch- I want to change my answer. <laughs> I want to die squatting. Um. Yeah, it's so um, it's so difficult. But my favorite part is this: the second part of the quote, where he's like. Not worried about it. <laughs> I'm not not worried about like finishing it. Like it literally doesn't matter. You know, it's um I I love Montaigne though. Montaigne has some really good stuff and, and obviously he's pretty heavily influenced by Seneca with some of some of this stuff, but a lot of writing on uh on dying. But how do we just be okay with it? Like I want to, he talks about like meeting death wherever, you know, it comes. So like in a, in a way, um, and it doesn't matter. Like in a way, um, 
you know, I, I might uh, hope that death finds me like living virtuously in some sort of way. But even if not, like that's okay too. You know, it's like um, some sort of thing there. Um, but I, I, I kind of picked the topic for us today of, of life and death. My, as you already know, but just to share with the listeners, my older brother um, passed away a few weeks back now. So I've been like contemplating death in maybe different ways than I normally do. Um, and yeah, like thinking about things like grief, um, you know, there's like stages of grief that people are probably familiar with, but it's interesting. Like one is, um, denial. And, uh, I was, I was there, I was able to kind of see my, my brother pass, but then for like the weeks after and at his memorial experienced this thing of denial, like kind of expecting him to come like walking up, even though I knew that he passed. So it's such like a strange thing of like these stages of, of grief and like how we go through, through things. Um, and it's like that first stage of not really like accepting it. Like it doesn't quite, register in our you know minds and hearts stuff like that so it's a pretty fascinating fascinating thing yeah it's it it is how much have you have you dug into that because i'm curious uh i thought about grief and death philosophically but in terms of like the denial stage is that is that i guess a defense mechanism against facing the hard truth I maybe so. Yeah, that, that 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 could be could be so. Um let me let me pull them up just so I have all all five for the um So denial, anger, bargaining, depression, acceptance. Um and I I I think there's a few different one of ones of these, but from um the Kubler Ross model She's someone who's uh, um, written a couple popular books on the topic. But yeah, you, I mean, you think of this last thing, that the last stage being acceptance, you know, and obviously it's maybe not some sort of uh, climbing a ladder or step by step. Maybe you kind of bounce, bounce around and things like that. But um, yeah, it, it does seem like it's some sort of, um, what word did you use? Like, how did you phrase it? Uh, like coming to terms with the hard truth. It's like a defense mechanism, I think is the yeah. word I used. Yeah. Yeah. But it, like it talks there in those five stages that like, you know, depression, anger, you know, things like that, like before acceptance, um, and there's a quote that I, I've probably mentioned before on here from Proust, where it's like, you have to feel something to its fullest, like kind of to be done with it, which aligns with kind of these five stages, you know, because it's like we can essentially like repress all sorts of things, 
like in terms of um you know grieving or what you know what whatever, whatever it may be but it's uh it's possible for us to repress and not actually um you know experience the loss and, and grieve and and come to accept what happened yeah there's a there's a great lyric on that it's give in to your bleeding it's a lyric from rob thomas it's a song called pieces and you know it's a song about just how we not just death but all kinds of different things in life these tragedies that happen to us we kind of get broken into pieces and then we we, we pull ourselves back up and make something back of ourselves and uh, yeah and he's got that line in there give in to your bleeding which is kind of like just to your point like you just you really got to feel that before you're able to move on. And I was just so, so fortunate that I've, I had a, an amazing role model in terms of how to deal with, with death. It was my aunt Mabel, my great, great aunt Mabel. So she was, um, she died at 102, uh, probably about five years ago or so. But anyway, she was just a, just a, a wonderful woman, but she, she lost her son. I think he was, he was probably 60 or so. So she would have been 80. So she lost her son, her only son, uh, and then she lost her husband about 15, 20 years after that, Uncle Calvin. And, um, and you know, it was so interesting watching her because she, um, she did that very thing. Like she, she, would, she would 100% just give in to what was, what was being experienced at the time. And, uh, and you know, like I, I didn't see her when her son died, but I saw her when my uncle died. And, um, and she, she grieved and she cried, but it, it wasn't excessive. And, and it was almost, it was almost like some people around that tended to grieve a bit longer. They were almost like, like, how can you only cry for two weeks? Right? Like you've, you've had this husband for 96 years or something like that. Right. And, uh, not 96, they've been alive that long. So they would have been married about 70 years, I guess, but just a crazy long time. And, and like, for me, I'm like, no, that's, that's the model to use. <laughs> like, that's what you want to do. Like you want to, you want to grieve, you want to, to feel what you have to feel, but then you have to get on with life. And I think that's what I learned from her is that, you know, you lose a member in your family, you lose your job, you, you lose your teeth, you lose all these things in life and you look out the window and life goes on. And you can stay in your house and you can be in denial and you can cry and you can stay in, in depression, but life goes on and it's going to go on with or without you. And, and so I think, um, I, I, I would agree is that that first step is just to, just to allow yourself to really feel that. And, and, and that takes time. Take, and I think it's a practice allowing yourself to kind of feel those waves that come over you, but it's, it's vital for moving on. Yeah. Like, I wonder, and we were talking about before we hit record around, you know, subjectivity, like when it comes to, to words and what they mean and all sorts of stuff. So in, in the way of grieving, moving on, all of that, like for us, anyone listening, like everybody has a different meaning behind those things, um, you know, these words. and. I, I could say, like, maybe you don't ever, like, move on, you know, because someone might take it when you hear, like, move on as kind of like, you know, you, you've put that behind you, you, you know, you've, 
you've set that to the side. And that's just not like how it is. I would imagine anyone that has lost a, a child, a spouse, a friend, you know, like on and on, like, you know, my brother in, in this situation, um, it's like, yes, like we're continuing like to live our life and you know what I mean? Like honor, like the impact that they had on our, our life. Like for instance, like my brother had a, a really like heartfelt talk with me about the direction of my life around 18 or 19. Um, you know, I want to kind of honor that conversation. I want to honor that that wisdom that, that like he was attempting to share with me, you know, it's like these memories and, and I, I think like that is the, the difference like in the way of, um, you know, how do you want this to like unfold? You know, you could maybe like close the, the drapes, like you see in some sort of show or movie or something like that. And it's like someone sitting in this like dark, dark room, um, and maybe that's how they want it to un unfold. You know what I mean? Like some lady that is 78, that loses the love of their life that they've been with every day for 60 years. I don't know. I think that's like up to each person. Like, how do they want that like to, to unfold and, and maybe the grieving process finished, but I would imagine in some way the sadness in some way um i i want to say in in the way of like wishing things could be different but i don't necessarily mean that in in that way cuz you know they they can't be like things that have happened have happened but um i don't know like remembering i think it's possible to maybe finish the grieving process but still remember still like hold memories um you know dear in your in your heart in some way yeah it's a, it's a good distinction and i think it does get down to what you said about kind of just a maybe even like a worldview like how you think about this because i've heard uh it was one of the spider man actors he said he's talking about his mother and he said that grief is just the unexpressed love right it's the love that you that you couldn't or didn't give to someone, uh, when you, uh, when they were alive. And, and that's interesting because like, he kind of, he kind of implies there that there's really this infinite, infinite source of, of love that you can, you can give to people. Like he said, he, he told his mother every day he loved her, but it was still not enough. And it's never enough because life is just so damn short. Um, but you know, I, I guess, I guess if I were to think about how, how you, how you, you know, move on is it is, it is kind of, maybe it's not the right term, but how you, how you get, get through that or a good way of thinking about it is something like, you know, you want, I would want my loved ones, if I were to pass, I'd want them to, to be joyful and to laugh when they think of me. Right. And like, there's, um, there's a, there's a, I, I got to bring in another lyric here. There's another beautiful song lyric from Laying Down to Perish by uh, Alan Doyle. But he, it, it's about someone, the, the, the spouse died. 
And, um, and he's basically, he says, may your house be filled with laughter. Should I ever cross your mind? You know, I, I think, I think that's it, right? Like, I mean, if I, if I were to think about how I want people to, to remember me, I don't want them to be sad. I want them to be, to be joyful. I want them to, to, to laugh kind of in the same way that you look back on different phases in your life. Like, um, like high school and these friends you had in high school and you never talked to them anymore, but you can still look back and like laugh and be joyful about the, the memories that you have together, even though they're, they're, there's probably zero chance of you ever recreating any of those memories. It's just gone. That, that time of your life is gone, but you don't look back in grief per se. Like you don't look back in sadness. You look back with, with, with love and with appreciation for what was there while it was there. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think um, that might be easier said than done, like for so many of us. And, uh, and that may um, take time. You know, they talk about like in the way of um, endings, you know, like things end. And you think of like a young person that maybe loses uh, like a parent you think about so many of the experiences moving forward that also ended like that person, maybe not seeing them get married or walk down the aisle or see their firstborn, you know, like all of these things, like we grieve, um, the losses, but it's like, even though we may have had many, experiences you know we still want them to be part of these future experiences so like it comes back to like something we've talked about like many times where it's like well what's up to us what's not up to us well there's many things that are not up to us but that like to me that's where the work like just begins because there's these things that we want. We want these experiences with a particular loved one. On and on and on and on. And in the midst of those experiences, individuals may think about that loved one that is not there. You know, like the day someone is getting married and their mother or father is not there because they've passed. They're going to be thinking about them on that particular day, I would imagine, because they want them there. So it's like this thing of working with the things that are not up to us. And we, you know, essentially have zero control of doing something about it other than. Like maybe in some sort of a way, allowing ourselves to experience whatever it may be that arises like at that point in time, like whatever it may be. And I think sometimes like you say in the way of laughter, joy and all of that, like it's so weird, but I think we can experience both of those at the same time. Like say someone is um, like in that situation, like preparing for like a wedding, getting ready to get married. They might think about, you know, the laughter and the joy and imagine, 
you know, a, a loved one or a parent smiling and joking and being there and experience sadness because they're not. It's like we're so complex. We can experience like these happiness and sadness at the same time. Thank you.